is your first time listening, welcome to the Simple Successful Business Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron, and I'm here to help you turn your coaching business full time. So today's episode is really exciting because it is the first interview that we're having on the podcast, which is super exciting. And today I'm going to introduce to you someone very special that I've had the pleasure of working with, which is Melissa Carnegie. So Melissa is one of my previous clients. We worked one-on-one together and I could not wait to have her on the podcast because her story is so inspiring and I think very similar to where a lot of you are right now in your business as well. And I particularly wanted to have her on the podcast because something that we uncovered together as we were working together was the idea of building a legacy business. And I think Melissa is an incredible example of what that can look like. So I actually met Melissa in my sex educator days and their work is so important. They're they're actually the founder of sex positive families and they work with young people and their parents and their caregivers to empower people to have liberatory sex positive shame-free talks about sex and puberty and all the things that come with that and so much of the work that sex positive families does is actually rooted in Melissa's own experience as a single parent and also as a sex educator based in Texas. So it's been really amazing to see what that journey has looked like for her and her family over the course of the five years of building sex positive families to where it is now, an actual legacy business where the entire family is literally involved from Melissa's partner to her kids. And it's really incredible to see. So I'm really excited for you to listen to this interview because it's going to be an incredible example of what is possible for you in taking your coaching business full time. So you're going to hear Melissa talk about their journey, what it's been like, also the impact that coaching has had along that process of transitioning from being a sex educator to a business owner. And we also get into money mindset and boundaries and all kinds of incredible important things. So definitely make sure you have some notes for this one. It's a little lengthy, but it is so good. All right, let's get into it. Welcome back to the show. I am here with Melissa. Melissa, how are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Cameron. Oh, thank you for coming on to the show. So this is really exciting. I think you're actually the first guest interview that I've had since rebranding. So this is really exciting. And I always love recording with you. Thank you. I feel so honored. 
Yay. All right. So for folks that do not know you yet, um, but they will tell us a little bit more about you and your business and the journey in creating sex positive families. Well, I am a Black, Puerto Rican, and Mexican non-binary parent of three. I have an adult who's 23, a 12-year-old, a tween, and an eight-year-old. And I am also a social worker and a sexuality educator. And truly, all of these identities have played a role in why I created Sex Positive Families, what it is, and, and who it really serves. Uh, I grew up without sex education. <laughs> I grew up in Texas and notorious for just all, all the bad things. <laughs> and so I didn't have sexual health conversations happening in my home uh, because I grew up in a real Catholic influenced household and sex and bodies, all these things were taboo. And so I really didn't have a roadmap or supports to help guide me along my own sexual health journey and an understanding and normalizing uh, bodies and how to interact with others, you know, and consent and all these things that I teach about now and that I've had the chance to develop skills around as an adult. Uh, and then I became a parent when I was 17. And I do believe that for me, if I had had sec open, honest, shame-free talks, if I knew that I had at least one grown up that I can turn to to talk about these things to help me navigate these things. I feel confident I would have made different choices. And this isn't about shaming, you know, parenting at an early age. I just know for me that that came about because I wasn't clear about what I was doing and the implications and my goals, you know, for, for myself in these areas. And so when I became a parent, I really, even at that younger age, felt really intent on wanting to raise my young people with an understanding of these things and, and to break that generational pattern of taboo and shame. Um, and so I got into professionally into social work and that put me in the space of sexual health. So for a decade before starting Sex Positive Families, I worked as a social worker uh, in the nonprofit and then eventually a state government spaces around HIV, sexually transmitted infections, sexual health. And so that exposed me to just the larger narrative that, wow, as an adult, I am not alone in having had a lack of quality, comprehensive, inclusive shame-free sexuality education, sexual health talks, and then seeing the impacts of that kind of uh, taboo, you know, that we have culturally. Uh, and then in 2017, I took a brave leap after experiencing racism and macroaggressions in the workplace that I was in uh, that went unaddressed. I quit my job. I was working for the state of Texas as a consultant. And within a week of quitting my job, I had this space and this, and this clarity to really think about what is it that I really want to do? What am I really passionate about? And it came so clear to me that I wanted to work with families. I wanted to work with parents to help them to be able to have these conversations with young people, especially conversations that are pleasure centered, which I didn't see happening in, you know, our schools here, especially, you know, in Texas. And 
that's really what started and launched sex positive families. And that was five years ago now. And I, I haven't stopped. <laughs> I, I love that story. I feel like I get chills every time I hear you talk about, you know, your journey and what that's been like for you. And something else too, that I think is really interesting. So I often talk about, you know, connecting to your unique brilliance and Part of why I love your story in particular, Melissa, is how I feel like your unique brilliance naturally kind of weaved in. Like you had all these different experiences in your life. And when it came time for you to make the decision to quit your job, it was like, oh, okay, now it's like there is this clear space for it to speak to me. Yes. No, that that that's so true. And there's so many layers to to this. I feel like we're so conditioned, many of us in this in this culture, to have to figure out, you know, what does success look like for us? What, um, how do we fit into this machine, you know, of of all of these systems? And we're conditioned at an early age to to churn things out and be productive in these constructed ways, and it's in more recent times that I've come to realize that a lot of what I do, the work that I do now is really about play and pleasure and tapping into the strengths that I have had since I was a kid. I used to play um, teacher in my room by myself because my sister didn't want to play it with me. I used to pretend like I had a classroom and that I was teaching and I had a grade book. I mean, I was serious about it. I made a little transparency, you know, projector thing out of a shoebox and Ziploc bag and vis-a-vis. And um, so I, I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to be an educator. I also wrote. I wrote poetry. I wrote plays. Um, I wrote um, a book when I was younger. I did so many things. I wrote a newsletter too for our neighborhood that no one asked for, but I wrote it. <laughs> and uh, I even and, and I found a lot of these things in more recent years that have been so affirming because it's like, wait a second, I now have a business that I've fully crafted and created that actually is allowing me to be my most authentic self and these parts of myself that I over the years after you know I gave up in order to because I was like oh I have to get a degree oh I mm -hmm. have to work in a job that has you know this certain constructed structure to it and sense of you know relevance and pay and all these things right and they really weren't within my true like innate scopes of genius. So I was like trying to fit myself into these boxes that I was told I needed to. And then now I get to fully be my authentic self and do the work that I'm designed to really do in this world. And it, and it feels so amazing. I love that so much. I also play teacher randomly <laughs> as a kid. So I would always have like my Barbies and my Barneys because I was a big Barney girl. Um, they would always be lined up for class too. So look at us now. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I was generationally, I was like, I had like maybe like Rainbow Bright and like, you know, these uh, these other characters that have like resurfaced from the 80s. Uh, but yeah, it's I, I feel seen uh, because I mean, I was very serious about it. And so it's really cool to now get to 
be an educator and a teacher, you know, for real humans. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and something else that I want to touch on is this idea, I think, of creating a legacy business, right? Which I think is really naturally weaved in. So can you kind of share a little bit about like, was that like a conscious idea that you had? Or was it also something that you just found sex positive families naturally weaving into? Well, in the beginning of starting this business, I was so focused on just trying to make it a real business <laughs> because, you know, I've, I have had a family the whole time I needed to produce an income. And so in the first few years of sex positive families, I was also juggling, you know, full-time employment, uh, working, for, I was working for a nonprofit in the sex education space. So it did allow me, you know, once I quit the state work, uh, I, and then I got clearer that I wanted to pivot into sex education. I then started looking at jobs that maybe could align and give me that classroom experience. And so I was able to find a nonprofit that was looking for a sex educator. And so I'm so grateful for the two years in the middle of building sex positive families that I was able to actually teach a, a comprehensive, inclusive sexuality curriculum to middle and high school age students and to help revise that curriculum to make it more sex positive. Um, so it was really, really cool how that happened in between. But in the meantime, I, I was just trying to make this be not a hobby <laughs> and make it be a real business with all the real business bells and whistles to it, which I didn't grow up with entrepreneurship as an option or seeing any other entrepreneurs. So I really had to learn and kind of think, you know, YouTube University and Google and, <laughs> and then so many uh, Facebook groups of other entrepreneurs really helped me figure out the, the, the tools and the path for that. Um, so the idea of a legacy business, I wasn't there, you know, in the beginning mentally, I was just like, I don't know if this is going to be a real thing, you know, are people really going to care? They're going to want to access the services I feel that I want to provide. So I had to spend, I would say it was definitely the first three years of this, I was spending in creating and in the act of of having a business and building the foundations of the business. And then within the last two years, it hit me that, OMG, I made it. I'm a real business. <laughs> so now what, right? And it was honestly through your coaching, uh, the one-on-one -on -one coaching that you uh, provided um, that I mean, I hadn't even really heard the term legacy business until you kind of put that in front of me. And then I was like, oh, well, yes, yes, of course. I I want to create a legacy because, you know, I've got children that, um, and, you know, our family, and they're very intricately involved in this business. And, you know, my, my partner, for example, um, he was the editor for my book. <laughs> and, you know, he is a lot of like the backbone that allows me to do all the speaking engagements and all the logistics, you know, of having kids while having a business. Uh, my children are the inspiration for this work, constant inspiration. My oldest and I uh, designed the self-paced course of our puberty workshop, you know, and she's got skills and a brain that, you know, I just, I don't have. And so, uh, and then my 12 year old, he's constantly giving me feedback about, you know, tween related things. And we're constantly having sex positive talks just organically. And that helps inspire the work. So 
this is a family business. And that really hit me within these last two years. And so it's now put in front of me, how am I, how am I maximizing and like creating sustainability within this business? Not just, you know, thinking about now right away or this next gig or anything like that, but, you know, how am I creating some long-term planning? Um, And then my son swears up and down that he's going to be the CEO of Sex Positive Families. He's a a little peer, peer educator. Okay. So, I I can't ignore it now. Now I can't ignore the fact that this is our family's business. And I now have to think about the moves that I'm making to ensure its sustainability. You just dropped so many gems with that. Uh, I kind of want to go back just a little bit (laughs) to specifically when you were talking about the point that you realized that you had like a real business. Can you do you remember like what that point looked like for you from the switch of like, oh, this is like something I'm trying to get going into? Oh, no, I'm already here. Yeah. So one moment that stands out is I was working in my, you know, I'll say like day job of uh, the sex ed job that I had. And at the same time, I had put out a webinar, I'd put out the registration for a webinar on uh, talking to kids about porn. And that me putting that registration out there, I ended up I was using Zoom and and it had like, you know, 100 person maximum. And I thought, you know, sure enough, that's, that's good enough, right? 100 person. And this was a paid webinar. And within less than 48 hours, that 100 had already been like met, the max had been met. So in, in, in this webinar, I put the registration out for like three to four weeks before the actual webinar date. And so I was like, holy crap, (laughs) if, already a hundred people have signed up for this. And then there are people want more people wanting to get in on this webinar. So then I was on the phone with zoom and I was trying to figure out, okay, can I upgrade, you know, and what's the max there. Ultimately I ended up having over 400 attendees to that webinar. And then, you know, and I think I was charging like 20 bucks a person, something like that. So you do the math. I remember vividly having this moment of like, holy crap. I, I, I just made, I haven't even delivered the webinar yet. And I have just made more in this one thing, this one offering than I make in a month working in this 40 hour a week job. And that was a, that was a pivotal moment of just realizing that I, I have a business here, you know, and there were, there were, there were lots of little things before that. I mean, I remember the very first group offering that I did earlier on and that that group offering, you know, I put it out. uh, I only had like, I think like 10 spots I was putting out for this thing. It was like a four week experience with parents of virtual. And I remember getting the very first sale, you know, once I put it out into my newsletter, my newsletter at that time probably had, I don't know, like two, 300 people in it or whatever. Now we have over 18,000 people on our newsletter. And so it's like, I can think back, you know, to all of these little moments where 
you know, I took that vulnerable, brave step of putting something out into the world, not knowing if anyone's going to care, if anyone's going to buy it or pay for it. So I've had to do a lot of mindset work around money (laughs) um, in order to get comfortable and confident in putting things out here. But for sure, that moment when I was like, oh, I just made more than I've made than I'll make in a whole month, if not two months, you know, with this one offering, um, that was that was a moment where I realized that I've got I've got a real thing here. I'm a real business. I uh, and then ultimately, yes, when I when I left that job, the, the grant ended and we chose not to renew it. But I was able I was at the point where my business my business was consuming more of my time and creative space and the demand for it was there to where it was like a no brainer. I was like, I, I, I I cannot take another job. You know, I I have to do my job full, my work full time, my business full time. I love that. Oh, so dropping so many gems. I hope that if you're listening to this, you're taking all the notes. (laughs) (laughs) I, I kind of want to go into the piece about money mindset uh, because I think this is also something especially for coaches, for sexuality professionals, for folks that are just like entrepreneurs and doing things a little bit differently. Money is always a sticky spot that comes up. So I'd love to hear a bit more about what that journey with like working with your money mindset and shifting that has looks like for you. Yeah, no, that's it's it's absolutely been a journey and I think it's it's never ending. I feel at this point of it, I didn't grow up with abundant means. Um so I th- I think for sure that it has made me confront my own scripts, my own experiences with money and what I observed of you know, my, my parents and primary people in my life, what messages I ended up internalizing without realizing it about money and, and then about my worth and value, my relation, you know, to money. I was a young parent. And so for really the bulk of the years of raising my daughter, who's now an adult, I was doing that in a very scrappy, financially scrappy way. (laughs) And I didn't, I had to say no a lot, you know, in order to just make ends meet as far as, you know, there just was, there wasn't an abundant way of thinking about things. And so, so then when I come into this experience of having a business, running a business, managing finances of a business, and then like, charging people. Like I've never been good at fundraising or asking people for money. Like that's always been a thing, a hang up and a challenge for me. Um, I noticed then it, like it was hard to then quantify what my work, my time was worth because then I, I realized that that was defined by what other people, because I worked in the, in a workforce setting. Right. And I had hourly wages or annual salaries put on my worth that was all I had to compare what my time could potentially be worth. I knew that that was like skewed and that was not the whole picture, but I didn't know. And then when you see like these other coaches or these other businesses out here, or these other individuals, and they're charging like thousands of dollars, like there was such a disconnect mentally for me. And even still to this day, many times I'm just like, what? Like, why would I charge that for X, Y, Z? So I've had to take a journey and a constant 
um, whether that's books that I read, podcasts I listened to. The cool thing is that there are so many resources nowadays that can help de- help us in this deconstructing. I worked with a mindset coach for um, about two years um, to help me, and money was a was a big part of it. Money, worth, value, boundaries, all of those things were big pieces. And I've had to unlearn a lot of things. I've had to rewrite some scripts and get to a place where I will hold myself accountable if I'm undervaluing myself or my time or allowing someone else or another entity to undervalue me. But it's absolutely been a journey. It is not something that I just have known and been able to do and that I still don't sometimes wince around. (laughs) Yeah, no, and I really appreciate you saying that because I think often folks have this misconception that it's like, oh, just charge your worth. But it's like, how do you how do you know what your worth is? How do you quantify that? Right. What's that formula? Yeah. Yeah. What's the secret formula or like process? And often there's no like, I don't know. I I think that there's also like this idea that we can look to what other people are doing as well, but we're Like there's so much information that we're not getting like from the front of it, right? Like I can go on someone's sales page and I can see, oh, they're charging whatever price for whatever offering, but I don't know necessarily the back end of like what their business expenses are, what their personal expenses are, you know, what are kind of like marketing costs. So I think that's also like something that is really important in this conversation too. Yes. No, I'm I'm glad that you brought that up because that has been a part of what I had to answer. And what I'm always now in the habit of answering for myself is around like, what, what do I need? What do I need this month? What are my goals this quarter, this year? And, and because that, that's going to be different for all of us. And that that does and can influence and can be a marker that helps guide you towards figuring out what your price points are for different things. Um, so, so yeah, I've gotten better at taking a look at that. I wasn't, I was purposely avoiding goals and long-term planning for a, a good chunk of this, these five years, because I was so used to and conditioned to lack and being in more of a, a fight or flight experiences around like money and finances, the idea of having excess money in my bank account was a foreign thing to me. I was always check to check less than that, like you know? And so I got used to, I got into the habits of how to live that way. And so then, well, what do you do when you've got $10,000 or more just sitting in your bank account that you don't need to do anything with right now. It doesn't need to go anywhere and it might just keep building on itself. I had no idea what that was like and it was uncomfortable. (laughs) It was like, I have to be using this for something. There's gotta be some reason I've gotta be doing, I gotta, because what, why would I just have this? Then there's almost like sometimes like a guilt, like you feel a guilt for having. Yes. And so there was so much that came up and it, so it was so valuable for me to have a space someone that I could talk to, to talk this stuff out. If I didn't have that, I likely wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been able to know what to do responsibly with that to, to create sustainability. I would have ended up just falling into old habits and old patterns that would have, 
you know, not been helpful. Yeah. And I think too, that's also important because it helps you in moving along this journey of not just creating a legacy business, but like starting to see yourself as a business owner and as oh like, my gosh, yes. Yeah. And wearing that hat, which I know we talked about before, but that's also, I think, a really important piece of it too. Yeah. Like the whole, like, I'm a CEO, right? I'm a founder, like using these terms and this language can feel uncomfortable or can feel performative um, depending on your mindset and depending on, you know, where you're at and, and how confident and clear you are about what your, your goals are and what you're here to do with your work. I'm also wondering too, specifically for folks that are maybe in the sexuality niche or in like a hyper-specific niche, like sex education and sexuality, like how did that also influence your navigation of all these challenges too, right? Because it's a very, it's a hyper-focused niche, right? So there's not actually a ton of like, I think resources for people to kind of think about the business side of it. So I'm just curious about like what the transition was like in going from seeing yourself as like just a sexuality educator to like being a founder and being like, you know, a sexuality professional that other people are looking to. Mm, yeah, great question. You're right. Um, if you or as you go into other spaces that are about entrepreneurship or that are about um, you know, building a business, we, as far as sexuality educators or sexuality professionals are like one in a, <laughs> it's, like, it's like the only person, right? Um, and so you're dealing with all these other you know, forms of business that have been validated in different ways in our culture. And I feel like sex education has been relegated to like the nonprofit model. And so it's, that makes it hard then also uh, because many of us that get into this have either worked for, or, you know, worked with nonprofits. And so even just like getting your brain out of that way of thinking and seeing that there's absolute value and worth to what we do, to the services that we provide, to the life-changing and life-saving work that we do that absolutely needs to be compensated, um, not at these like nonprofit for free pro bono, you know, rates. Um, and so that that definitely took time for me to, to work through. And then when I'm in these other professional spaces that are not um, sex education centered, then yeah, there's the layers of like the stigma, the taboo, there's the different values people can have. Um, a lot of times there, you know, people are not engaging with us and with what we do and because it can be triggering and it can bring up so much. Uh, so yeah, there, <laughs> there, there's so much there that can make it more challenging, but, and that is why I've love the work that you do because you're pioneering this idea that sexuality education is is absolutely a a business that is worth and a field that is worth investing in and not at just these nonprofit grant funded you know which are very limiting uh ways 
and you're helping to give people the tools and the support to be able to transition and have a business model and for us to see our own sustainability, because especially if we're doing this work in a liberatory way, if we're doing this work in, in an inclusive and in a progressive and a sex positive way, we're, we're, we're light years ahead of these nonprofits and these grants and this, these government funding. And we will find ourselves compromising our values if we are staying in those spaces or, or in schools, right? In school sex education curricula programs, we will, we will, it'll be a conflict of values and interest if we stay there, if we if we're feeling pulled and tugged towards something more transformative. And so it means that a lot of us are having to find our way outside of these systems and create our own. And we have to. We have to have then the skills like the business acumen and the marketing and all these other elements of running a business. We find ourselves having to develop those skills because they have not been taught to us within the field of sexual health education, sexuality education. Wow. I I feel like you just helped me to create this light bulb over my head of like, wow, this work is liberatory and necessary and it's also like so futurist too like we're literally building the industries of the future by doing this work in this particular way and how powerful is that absolutely it is so powerful and that's why it's like we need way more people doing it than are now so we we need way more people not falling for that bs imposter syndrome constructed crap. We need more people seeing that you, we need you exactly as you are, exact, all the identities and the, experience, the lived experiences that you hold need to be brought to the table. And if you feel called to do this work within this field, we need you. And we need you to feel really powerful, really supported, really prepared and nourished and sustained uh, because this is life-saving what we are offering. And especially when we that intersection of technology and the fact that, you know, social media and these social platforms, this is, this is where the work is transitioning to and not just in schools, you know, in school systems, there's so many gaps that are happening there and so many gatekeepers and they're just so behind the times. So absolutely. This is, this is very much in, and I'd want to drop in terms of the liberatory sex ed model, uh, Stephanie Zapata, uh, who is a, the founder of, you know, SLAM, the Sexuality Liberators and Movers conferences, um, have to shout Stephanie out because Stephanie is, is one that is, you know, pioneering in terms of what's going on with liberation and sexuality education. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you have the chance to check out the SLAM conferences, they are incredible. It's been like one of the best conference experiences that I've done as like someone who's just attended and also a speaker. And you've uh, spoken there quite a bit as well, Melissa. Yeah. 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 Same. I, I, I've always recommend any up and coming sexuality educator, any seasoned sexuality educator. If you're, if you are doing this work in a way that is transformative, that is inclusive, that is progressive, that is centering, you know, the voices and, and folks that have traditionally been left out or have been exploited in this field, then you, you must attend SLAM uh, because you'll find a community there and you'll grow in your skills and ability to do this work the way that it's meant to be done. And I also want to 
ask as well, kind of going back to coaching in general, um, we've talked a bit about some of the things that coaching in particular with me, with other coaches have like helped you along this journey. Yeah, I I would say for sure boundaries. Um, Coaching has helped me with identifying healthier boundaries or boundaries at all (laughs) when it comes to doing this work, especially because my work has very much been done within social media spaces. And that has like the loosest, most harmful um, definition of boundaries to it in those spaces. You know, this idea that we're just always going to be connected. People are always going to be on that. We're just going to be fed all of this very triggering, um, sensitive content all the time that people have access to us and just DMs. And um, so using coaching spaces has helped me to process where my boundaries need to be so that I can feel confident saying no, trusting my instincts, finding my lanes and scopes of genius, and the aspects of the work that bring me joy and that I need to be clear and centered on that, my own joy and my own pleasure at all times so that I'm not overwhelming myself. I'm not allowing myself to be taken advantage of by individuals or by entities uh, that I stay nourished because that ultimately supports the sustainability of this work. Totally. And I love that you bring up boundaries too, because like you said, social media is it's so hard sometimes to maintain those boundaries and to like communicate them effectively while also like maintaining them, enforcing them. And it's such an important part of business building and also growing as an individual in, I guess, like the public eye too. Absolutely. Yeah. And I've, that's another element that I've had to work through in coaching is just finding my own sense of comfort and authenticity within the visibility, the the added visibility that has come with having a platform that is public, that is consumed by more people I could have ever imagined across the world. Uh, There are so many expectations that can land in my lap and sex positive families lap. And I've had to get clear, you know, like, as of this date, I am not wanting to be like some famous person. I'm not wanting to be like an edutainer, you know, I, that's not who I am and what I want to do. And just because there are other people in our field that are doing that and that's in their scope of genius and they love that doesn't mean that that's how I need to operate my business or that that's how I do the work. Um, and so it's taken me time to get clear about that because, you know, the temptation is there to kind of think, oh, they're doing that, or I should be doing that too, blah, blah, blah. No, I love, so I had to pay attention. What is, where do I feel most, you know, in my, in my flow? Where do I feel like I'm in my flow? And for me, that's when I'm doing my puberty workshops with, with tweens and, and their trusted adults. Like I do those uh, at least one every single month. And, and I love it, you know, like it's, that's where I'm, that's my scope of genius. It's not being broadcast to the entire world. You know, it's me and 40 families and we're having this, this intimate transformative space and this experience. And that's, that's good enough. That's enough for me. The education I get to provide to them in the newsletters that follow that, you know, the work that I get to do in, in um, the content that I put out there on the website, on our socials, that's all enough for me. I'm not 
wanting to be on Good Morning America, not to say that those things might not happen, but I am hyper anxious about that possibility. <laughs> and, but I've had to confront that because I've, you know, you get so many requests and so many asks from the media. Once they see that you've got a good thing or that people are talking about you, they want, they want, they want, they want, they want. And the temptation is there to say, okay, yes, all right. But if it's not feeling good, if you're not feeling right about it, if it's causing you like crippling anxiety, <laughs> you need to listen to that. And, and it's okay to be who you are and do the work the way you are meant to do it. And you get to be the boss of that. And so it's taken me time and through coaching and through mindset work for me to get really confident and clear about that and to do this work in a way that's authentic for me. And it's okay, I'll let other people do these other things and show up in these ways, that's fine. I don't, I don't have to do that if that doesn't resonate for me or feel comfortable for me. I love that so much. And it just reinforces the, the fact, yeah, I'm gonna say it with my chest, the fact that there's more than enough room for all of us. Like there doesn't need to be this scarcity of like, oh, this person's already doing what I wanna do or, I'm too new at this or like, you know, whatever ideas that we sometimes have that hold us back. Yeah, totally. There's plenty of room, plenty of room. You know, what's next for you and sex positive families and what are you excited for in the near future? Well, we are expanding, growing into you. So growing into you are our gender inclusive family style virtual puberty workshops and we have been doing them virtually, literally since the start of the pandemic in terms of like the lockdown. So March of 2020 is when we did our first virtual. Before that, we'd done a few in person. And so I was able to transition the model into a virtual experience. And we have been doing them every single month since March of 2020. And we've served thousands of tweens and trusted adults literally from around the world. And we developed the self-paced version so that it could allow people to do the experience in their own time and their own pace and to have the content for a longer period of time. And uh, so now we've got a lot of families that are reaching out to us who are like, you know, hey, our kids one or two years older now, you know, do you have something for teens or, you know, for other topics, you know, separate from puberty? We loved this experience. We want to do more. So we're now in a, you know, we have, we're now in a place where it's like confronting the demand. Um, and it's, it's, it's really calling us to grow in this area to, to really, again, meet the needs of the folks that we really feel most passionate about serving, which is families, whole families together. So yeah, I'm excited about building out our family style education offerings and, and growing into you and then just continuing to, you know, work with my financial planning. Uh, I have a financial planner and, you know, accountant and doing all the technical things right so that we can build those nest eggs for uh, my family and the sustainability of sex positive families and the work that we are here to do. Love that. Oh my gosh. Thank you so, so much, Melissa. This episode was so juicy. Dropped so many gems. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for creating this space and all the work that you do to help us in this work know that that it's possible and that we're needed oh thank you and of course where can people find you online and find sex positive families online yeah so sexpositivefamilies.com is our website uh it 
is it has an amazing robust resource list that we always keep up to date of inclusive sex positive resources for every age and stage. And you can also find us on Instagram at sex positive underscore families. We also have a Facebook uh, at sex positive families. And so those are where our, you know, online communities are. And yeah, so we would love to have, you know, more folks connected to our work and uh, our newsletter, our monthly newsletter, we put out two, one for our puberty workshop families and one for our general larger community. And we're always sharing uh, resources and conversation starters and strategies that support families in raising sexually healthy children. Amazing. And you also have a book as well. Yes, we have a best-selling book called Sex Positive Talks to Have with Kids, a guide to raising sexually healthy, informed, empowered young people. And yeah, it's sold over 10,000 copies worldwide. It was self-published. I didn't have like, you know, a publishing team or anything. It's it's been just me and my very, you know, small team and uh it's been it's been a beautiful other medium by which we can educate and share these tools and resources. So yeah, it's it's been amazing. It's so good. I have my copy and it's fantastic. <laughs> and of course, all the links um, to everything that we mentioned, as well as where to find Melissa and Sex Positive Families will be available on in on the show notes as well. Thank you so much for coming on to the show, Melissa. Thank you.